Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday morning, April 20th, 2020. We are off to another hot start of another long week ahead in quarantine and such. Hope your weekend went great. For those of you who are still working, got a chance to maybe get a break and relax with some family, do anything different than what you do during the work week. And for those of us who are out of work, just kind of hanging out, waiting around for some excitement, well, hopefully it went by as smooth as the other days do for you. So I really want to thank everyone who's been tuning into the podcast. We've had great support. We've had uh, people reaching out on Facebook. Our our listenership has climbed. Just last week, we were looking forward to going over 500 total plays, and already we're, we're uh, approaching 600 plays. Here in the very near future. So we are growing. We appreciate that. Again, a few places you can reach out to the Get Home Safe podcast. You can email us at gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. Gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. For any questions you might have or subjects you want me to talk about. Uh, or just, just general uh, general comments. Uh, another way is on Twitter at the Get Home Safe Pod. That is our handle, Get Home Safe Pod. And of course on the Facebook page, the Get Home Safe Facebook page. So those are the ways to contact us as well as listen here daily on Anchor. We will be here for you Monday to Friday. Usually put a put a show out in the morning for you, but either way we will be here whether it's a long episode with a with a great guest or uh, just me rambling for a little bit. Today we are joined by Tracy McFate. He is a former high school football official but also a former Division 1 college football official. He will tell us about his climb to uh, a pretty high level, and he'll also talk to us about what it was like to be a high school football assigner, kind of working behind the scenes and assigning officials to various schools and games and all the the fun that that entails. Tracy's also a former Boys Christian League member. Uh, For for those of you uh, who don't know, that's what Care Youth League was called before uh, its name changed. So he spent a little bit of time there in the late 60s, I believe. So I will let him tell the story, but we're in for a real treat with Tracy McFate today, uh, a very big mentor of mine, and, and looking forward to that interview. A couple thoughts I have today on a Monday is, you know, social media is so big. It's such a big deal. I've already uh, expanded on my usage a little bit having this podcast if you want listenership, you gotta you gotta promote it a little bit, right? So I'm trying to get options out there to people. It just it gets funny to me, and, and and I'm doing it again to promote now. But you know, you see people on there that it, people go people can't go a day sometimes without posting something, and and maybe maybe I'm the only one that finds that odd, but and especially in a quarantine type situation time, okay. I found myself posting a little bit more too, but it's just, we are just addicted to the social media platform. And and again, this is coming from an unbiased person who needs it right now, (laughs) but we're so addicted. And and I'm not talking about a post here, a post there. Some people post 20 different (laughs) pictures on one day. Some people have uh, three or four posts of the same day. I, I guess that's what it's for. But it just, it's just funny to me. You know, you see people now when you watch television shows or you watch movies. I don't know how many times I've seen people looking at their phones while a show is on or a movie's on. I'm like, okay, if you're checking something, 
but they're glued to their phone. And I know I'm not the only one to notice these things. I, I've found myself doing that a time or two also, but you know, I, I try to hit pause if I'm looking, but it's like we are, we're attached to the hip. Have any of you had the feeling sometime, that dreadful feeling where you're like, wait a minute, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Oh my goodness. We panic if it's not like attached to us, attached at the hip. At least, you know, I, I've had those moments and, and I'm, and I catch myself and I'm like, why, why am I, why do I care so much about that? <laughs> you know, it's usually in a place where you're charging or whatever, but I think we take our phones everywhere with us now and, and it's, it's just the age we live in, I guess. But uh, I just find it so, so interesting, you know, and the things people post pictures of cracks me up too. And, and I've tried to take a few, I, I don't know what people want to see, what they don't want to see, but people take pictures of their food. Hey, look what I'm eating. Or, hey, it's like, what, what are we, how does it come to this? <laughs> and you could, you could argue the same thing. How does it come to uh, some guy sitting in his in his uh, bedroom talking on a microphone also. So so I, I get it. I get the, the criticism, you know, uh, you know, he who has sinned, <laughs> he who has not sinned, cast the first stone, all that stuff. But it's just, I don't know if it's a problem that's getting worse, getting better, if it's even a problem. It's just something I, I think about a lot. It's, 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 it's out there and everyone seems to have it. Everyone seems to have a platform. Everyone has a voice, and, and some of those are good things, but I think, uh, like anything, anything in moderation is good, correct? I mean, we're, we're starving for sports right now, at least I am, uh, and, and I probably do not do moderation when it comes to sports, so again, it might be a little hypocritical, but I, I think uh, social media and, and what we can get our hands on at just all the time, uh, who, who knows? I don't know if that's healthy or not. I was thinking about this. A lot of people are craving doing something else, right? With this quarantine, they want to be out. They want to. They, everyone says, "Oh, it's it's tough being at home all the time," and it got me thinking. What is it that you would most want to do? What is it if the quarantine was lifted tomorrow? What would you go do? And I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about everyone's like. Oh, I'm antsy. I want to go do something. And I'm like, okay, well, what? Now, whatever that is, I have a question for you. Would you go do that on the second day after quarantine? Would you go do it again the third day after quarantine? How about 9, 10, 11, 12 days in? Would you continue to do that thing after the quarantine? My point is, I think we always want what we can't have. That's just human nature. The forbidden fruit, if you will. We we say we want to go do something. We have this desperate need to do it. But in reality, you're probably only going to go do that one time. And then it'll you'll take a few weeks off from it or a month. And then maybe you'll go do it again. And I don't know what it is. Your favorite restaurant. Uh, go sit at a bar with friends. Maybe it's uh, a concert. I, I don't know. I just think my initial thought with all this stuff is that we want to get out. We want to go do something. But it's just the fact that we can't. Because how often did you do those things when we were not in quarantine? That's the real question. And maybe being quarantined, not being able to go anywhere, it opens your eyes to be more of uh, appreciative of things. 
but I just think deep down we want to do we want to do things that that we that we can't have. Case in point, we're seeing a lot of protests over the weekend in all different parts of the country, mostly in regards to hey, open the state back up. I got to get back to work. I want to work. I want to get back to my job. I want things normal. I want. I want. I want. Well, I I completely understand that because money is very important. And if you have a family or, you know, we have bills to pay, we all have those things. You, I think, again, you look at people, if you talk to anyone, they, they probably were telling you beforehand, oh man, I need a break. I need some time off from work. And, you know, if, if anybody could afford it, they probably did it. But we can't necessarily afford that, right? We're, we're, we're in a work in progress. We're working and trying to make money. And now here we are, quarantine. You're not allowed to go to work. And what do we want? It's been it's been a while, mind you, but now we want to get back to work. We want we got oh that's you know, hey open open things up, get back. So again, and I think human nature really has <laughs> shown itself this past month, month and a half. It's been an interesting experiment. Uh, I, I don't like using that word, but but uh, it's the only thing I can think of <laughs> with this whole thing. It's really interesting to see human nature right now at, at all times, but especially right now. And it's self-reflective as well. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I found myself doing things and uh, wanting things that I did not appreciate before. And, and so here we are. I mean, it's sometimes you just, you don't have words to explain how you feel or your thoughts and, and people, you know, people do things for different reasons. I know. Okay. Take for instance, uh, an adult beverage, having, having an adult beverage with, with, uh, friends or whoever, there are some people, they just, they just maybe sip on something to relax. It relaxes them at the end of the day. Um, maybe at home or, or make a stop after work or whatever. Then there's other people who they crave being around people. So it's more of the high for them or, or, or the low, whatever you want to call it is being around other people. So they wouldn't necessarily have a sip of something on their couch when they get home. They're, they're the people that they got to be around people. So they're going to, they, they would only maybe have a drink if they were around people at a bar. Other than that, they wouldn't do it. So, I mean, that's, that's my outlook on, on a few things and just a few examples of how human nature is right now. It's this, it's this desperate want and and believe me, I don't blame anybody for wanting a change of this situation because it has changed everything. It's changed jobs, uh, going to church. It's changed uh, opportunities and employment, schooling. It's changed everything, social activities. So I think we went back to normal. And then when we're when we are in normal, sometimes people don't realize that that's what it is. I think uh, hunger and thirst for, uh, for for things is great. It's it's wonderful to want things, but I think sometimes we have a trouble we have trouble being content as well. Not complacent, but content. I think you got to continue hunger in your life and and really wanting something. But you know what? It, sometimes we got to look around it and really feel content with what's around us, with what we have, who we have, and. You know, I think we, we fail to do that sometimes. Hopefully with this quarantine, it opens our eyes to some real positive thought. And that's that's kind of my thought for, for this uh, for this Monday. 
Anyway, let's move into our interview with Tracy McFate. It, uh, he, he covers a lot of ground. It is, uh, it is always a pleasure to talk to him. Provides a lot, a lot of knowledge and some funny stories about refereeing and officiating. But he's a good man. He is someone I've always looked up to. And he is someone I think you'll, you'll really enjoy. So on this wonderful Monday morning, let us, let us get now to Tracy McFate. Okay, we are joined by Mr. Tracy McFate from Henderson, Nevada. And Tracy, after many hours of trying to connect, I think we've finally done it. Good to hear from you, Matt. <laughs> you too. Thanks so much for joining us today. And Tracy, I'll talk about you a little bit, kind of some bullet points that we're going to touch on today. Uh, but Tracy is a is a big mentor to me. He was he was very influential in my football officiating career, and it was just kind of funny how things uh, worked out along the way with him. He was a football official himself. He worked at the high school level, got to Division One college football, but he was also a high school football assigner for Foothill Citrus in the uh, eastern part of San Gabriel Valley. That's where we met. We ran into each other at uh, Glenkirk Church in Glendora a little bit uh, also. He, he also, way back when, went to Boys Christian League, which later became Cary Youth League. And he, is, uh, he spent a lot of part of his career at Azusa Pacific University, not in the athletic department, but in his later years, helped out with the football program a little bit when he was, came off the field. So, Tracy, we're going to cover a little bit of everything about you. And uh, just thanks for being here. And, um, yeah, have you been tuning into the podcast? Yeah, I'm really grateful that I don't have to follow Bill Barnes. That's a tough act. <laughs> it sure is. He he sure is something, right? He is. <laughs> Did you ever work with Bill on the field? You know, uh, I, I think I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit, but Bill says we did, but I don't remember. And um, <laughs> um, he's he's marking. He talked about some games that I don't recall, but I'm sure that we did. And he's just a fun guy to be around. Yeah, they all blend together, and you know, you never had the privilege of working baseball with him but I, I still think you got some uh, some pitches in you Tracy if you came out of football retirement and put on the gear one time I'm ready to do it <laughs> well Tracy uh, he, he retired from uh, from his career at APU he moved out of from Glendora where we both live Glendora California he's now out in Henderson Nevada just outside of Vegas it was a great time seeing him when I was out there at UNLV about a month or so ago uh, but Tracy, what can you tell me about your early days as a young man in a an organization called Boys Christian League that eventually became Care Youth League? You know, I was probably oh third, fourth grade, and and I I can remember people that you and I talked about, uh, Mr. Hampton, Mr. Ostergaard, and I know they were organized teams that. Um, uh, were by kind of geographical layout. And I, I can just remember having good times in that layout. They got every inch of that campus for either a football field or a baseball field or a basketball court. What I remember most, Matt, is as probably about a fourth grader, they would have the baskets uh, just high enough so that this uh, skinny little kid could dunk. I don't know if you remember those days. And uh, it was fun. But they would have the bus that would come pick us up. And if you remember this, 
when it would come up Farna Avenue, they would have the quiet zone. And yes. nobody, nobody on that bus could could, could speak a word. And <laughs> if you tried saying, if you burped, man, you were you were in trouble when that bus pulled in there. There would be uh, uh, Mr. Hampton or somebody waiting for you when you got off. But they were good <laughs> times. They were really good times. Yeah, it was, you know, some of those things still go into effect, Tracy, and it's a quiet street. Uh, yeah, Farnham Avenue, you don't say a word. It was just a, a respect thing to all of the neighbors um, with all the buses going through and everything. And I, I, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> that was very unique uh, situation. And one memory I have of, of you telling me about your days at boys Christian league is my senior year at Rio Hondo. We got to go to a quarterback club luncheon or something at, at, in Pasadena. And there were two speakers. One was Pete Carroll and the other was Tom Marr. Carroll was at USC. Tom Marr was a head coach at, at PCC, Pasadena City College. Well, Tom talked about his days in BCL, and I later found out that you two guys were, were in it together. But it was the funny thing Tom said at that moment in the, the luncheon. He said, he says, I really enjoyed my time at BCL, but it just got too expensive for me. And I was sitting there thinking, well, that's kind of weird because they kind of work with kids and, you know, different work programs or whatever. And, and after pausing for a little while, he goes, yeah, it, it was a quarter every time you cussed. So I couldn't afford it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, uh, Tom's a good friend of mine and he's never met a microphone. He didn't like, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's great. And then it's great that you guys met across each other, uh, you know, in college football is him being a coach and he's been around a long time and, community college football in Southern California and, and you've had plenty of uh, games on the field yourself. So it's just, it's just cool to see how things end up, you know, after maybe some childhood days together too. It all comes back around. <laughs> well, Tracy, let's talk about football officiating. You, when did you start and what made you start? You know, it, it, it started in 1973. I, I graduated from Monrovia high school in 1972 and I thought I was a pretty good football player, but when I got to Citrus College, I realized I wasn't as good as I thought. I took a sports <laughs> officiating class and then joined the local officiating unit in 1973. I was only 19 years old. Um, I was uh, engaged to be married. Um, I started working the um, uh, Junior All-American games, and I can remember um, working 11-1-3 uh, and three at Mark Keppel High School. Uh, my wife-to-be was studying nursing, sitting up in the stands, doing her homework, and I made $27. And you go, 27 bucks a game back in 73 is not bad. Well, it was $9 a game, so we got <laughs> three. And uh, that, was, that was pretty good money. We were living large off of that. But my first, my first time on the field was as a 19-year-old in 1973. I also ended up working a couple of maybe lower-level um, at that time, I think it was the last year they had the B's and the C's and that kind of thing, um, high school games. And uh, so it was really was just a way to make some extra money. And then I very quickly caught the bug. Mm -hmm. You hear that often with, with all sports officials that it, it's a disease, it's a sickness that, that we, we uh, no pun intended with today's, uh, today's situation. But it just, it's something that we get so attached to. We fall in love with it. 
it's so hard to explain to people. Yeah, I like to go out and make decisions and get yelled at, but there's so much more to it. I mean, being on a football field, try to explain that to our listeners, what that is like. You know, I, I loved and I, I grew to love it even more that, to be a part of the competition of the game of yes. two teams that are trying to, to, to beat each other up and trying to win the game. And, um, you know, you would get people that say, you know, hey, they got six penalties and we, you know, and, and, and we've had 11 and, and you got to call it fair and you got to call it equal. And, and I would say, no, I go, I just, I just have to make sure that that one team doesn't get an advantage over the other team through the rules. And I love competing against guys, uh, um, uh, people you might remember that we started at the same time, Joe Bernanski, when we'd study the rules. Um, I wanted to be better than him. He wanted to be better than me. And I think it made us better. But um, just enjoying the competition of being on the field and then also um, working at the highest level of, of football that I could work at that particular time. And uh, I, think, I think that early on um, made me uh, better. I think it kind of added to the OC, OCD that I have right now. But um, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, that just grew on me every, every, every chance I found myself going to high school football games after that, as a, as a fan, just watching the officials, like at 20 years old. And I go, uh, wow, this is, this is coming in to be more of a, more of a, a, a hobby than, uh, I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It, <laughs> I loved going out watching games and, and it's fun to go with your buddies who are interested in the same craft as you. I know you guys had plenty of fun doing that. So what can you tell me about some of your most memorable high school uh, officiating moments, maybe a couple uh, couple championship games you did or some big matchups? I know there, that there's, there's a long list, but tell me about a couple. You know, I remember the first time that the CIF decided to put a, like an all-star cruise uh, together, and I got selected out of the Foothill Citrus unit to be the back judge. And two of the guys that were on that crew was a guy named Gary Cavalletto from the Santa Barbara area and Carl Cheffers. And both of those guys have worked Super Bowls. And as you know, Carl's, they're both in the NFL. Carl's uh, been a referee for quite a while. And so we worked a high school game. Uh, it was at Anaheim Stadium, 1993, and it was modern day versus Eisenhower. And, you know, you try to be cool and you try to be calm. And I knew all week that I had that game. And um, I was scared to death uh, all week. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, and I'd already, I've been officiating at that point, obviously for about 20 years. And it turned out, you know, we, we get the game going and it, and it turned out that at halftime, Eisenhower was ahead of modern day, 35 to nothing at half. I mean, they had, uh, they were, I think ended up being the high school national champions. They had track stars, all sorts of stuff. And, at Anaheim Stadium, my job was to make sure that I got my team, which happened to be modern day, out on the field for the second half. And I start walking down the hallway towards the modern day locker room, and Coach Rollinson in his white jacket is standing outside the locker room all by himself. <laughs> Nobody's around him. And I go, oh, this is going to be a little bit awkward here. And so he sees me approaching him, and he says, are you coming to get my team? And I said, yes, sir. And he looked at me and smiled and he says, I haven't decided if we're going to come out yet for the second half, 
but if we do, we'll be on time. And he just <laughs> he just smiled at me. And I think the game seriously ended up, I was looking it up earlier today, was 55 to 3. Oh, and wow. uh, um, those those two teams played probably about three or four out of five years for the championship. And I think that might have been the only time Eisenhower got him. But I know Eisenhower was pointing <laughs> for that game for like a really long time. And and uh, um, uh, and in working with a couple guys uh, that were well, the whole crew was a good crew. Referee was a guy named Bill Agopian. But um, to be. Uh, selected um, uh, by the CIF to be that first group, and again, it was a five-man crew. So that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, in general, what they what they do in playoffs is they keep units together. Hey, where's your crew from? Oh, we're from the Foothill Citrus. Oh, we're from Orange County. But that's when when teams started to play championship games in stadiums. That's when yeah, CIF started to say, okay, give me a representative from every unit or not every unit, but uh, five different guys. And so that was where the term like all-star crews came from. And it just got, it just got to try to be an effort to get the best guys on the field from around Southern California instead of just one unit. So what a fun time, Tracy. That's a really funny story with legendary coach Bruce Rawlinson. <laughs> it was, it, it, it put a smile on my face and you know, you're thinking, uh, they're down 35 to nothing, and he, he's going to tell me, you know, if you would have made a couple right calls, we'd, we'd still be in this game, but that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, didn't you work a game, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, CIF championship that was uh, some crazy number of overtimes with a few pretty famous players on it? You know, it was Corona Centennial versus um, Riverside North. And I believe it was 03, 04, um, or what have you. And, and um, uh, Corona Centennial made, um, uh, made up about um, uh, 18 points in the fourth quarter to tie it. And uh, it was the first CIF championship game that I was at. I was the referee. It's Norte Vista High School. And um, they scored with about 30 seconds left to send it into overtime. And at that point, you could you could save your timeouts and carry them over and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Matt Logan was a coach, still the coach at Corona Centennial. It was just the start of Corona Centennial's run. And they were just trading touchdowns in the overtimes. And it was a five-overtime game. Wow. In the fourth, fourth overtime, Corona Centennial um, – uh, it's a fifth overtime, Riverside North, uh, um, uh, scores, uh, excuse me, in the fourth overtime, they go for the extra point and it's good, but they rough the kicker. And um, they said, no, we're going to, at that point, they refuse a penalty. Let's go to the fifth overtime. So now Corona Centennial scores, they're up by seven and Riverside North scores, but they no longer have a kicker. Oh. And their kicker got injured and they missed the extra point and we were on the field. I think we walked off the field about 1120 at night. Oh. And um, uh, it was just a, a, a great crew. The game kind of officiated itself, so to speak. And, uh, um, but it was, it was uh, a five overtime game. And it was just something that, that I have the, uh, I'm looking at the crew picture right now. And uh, I can, you know, we had an all-star <laughs> of Foothill Citrus guys of, uh, 
um, uh, Scott Root was actually the alternate on there. So I keep on telling him, you, you, you got to get better. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so uh, that was a, that was, that was a, that was a very memorable evening and our Foothill Citrus unit did her so proud. That oh night. yeah. That is wonderful. Uh, you know, the, like the, the, for example, those are a few stories that, that happened years ago, but they still, uh, they're still so clear in our, in our minds. And, and it just goes to show you how, how fun this, this job is. And, and you can call it whatever you want, but to me, it's a job. You're always looking to do a good job out there. And uh, so Tracy, when you, when you then eventually got into college football, you worked at the junior college level, you worked in the division three level, you eventually got to division one and uh, it, it, it was the big West conference and they don't play football anymore. But at the time it was a lot of like the, the schools that were in the whack and the mountain West. Right. So tell me about your division one college football officiating career. I, I got into the big West in, in 1995. I um, went through tryouts for oh, several years. And, and at the time Cal state Fullerton and, and Long Beach state were still playing football. And I was always uh, uh, towards the top of the list, but never got that phone call. And then when Cal State Fullerton and Long Beach dropped their football programs, I actually thought, man, I'm really getting, you know, it's never going to happen now. And then about a year or two later, the supervisor of officials, Jack O'Kane, hired me and um, went in as a back judge, as a back judge, you know, the six years that I was in there. And it's, it was just a, a culmination of, of achieving the goal that I had really been working for. And I could always say, I always want to work at the highest level that I can. And so I was able to do that, work with some, with some great people, work with some great games. Boise State was in the conference and, and we had the, um, uh, Nevada and New Mexico State and a lot of good travel in that conference. Probably the most memorable is the second of the last year, Nevada had made the decision and they, we could see the writing on the wall that the Big West was probably going to short term as far as football wise was going. So they were the first team to leave the Big West and go to the WAC. But their last year um, in the Big West and they were playing at Boise State, Nevada was a preseason favorite for um, uh, the Big West championship. And um, Boise had an up-and-coming coach named Dirk Cutter, and uh, it was it. it they both teams were were undefeated at that point in conference play, and Boise State started on fire, and with about um, uh, just under two minutes left, Boise's up fourteen to nothing. They're driving. They're about ready to put the ball game away, twenty-one nothing at the half, and they had a quarterback named Ryan Dinwiddie, and he drops back to pass. Uh, I'm the back judge. The defensive back for Nevada gives a one-hand push-off, knocks the receiver off his route, intercepts the ball, takes it back about 40 yards to about the 30-yard line going in for Nevada. And all of a sudden now Nevada thinks um, they got to look at the ball game. And um, <laughs> But wait a minute. The back judge has a flag, defensive pass interference. <laughs> And and the Boise State crowd was just going absolutely. I mean, they were they were celebrating the the, the call. And the coach at the time of, of Nevada, a guy named Jeff Tisdale, good coach, good good guy. Except once the game starts, <laughs> just went absolutely ballistic, just ballistic. I mean, he's he's he stopped coaching. We 
put the ball uh, to about the 15-yard line, bring it back about the 15-yard line going in for Boise. They score two plays later. Now it's 21 to nothing. One of the jobs of the back judge is to coordinate the TV timeouts, and you have to go for for you don't know the person that you always see on the sidelines with the red jacket or whatever we call them the red hat. They coordinate the timeouts. And in the Big West, the back judge would always go over there after every timeout. Okay, this is timeout number one. <laughs> we need 90 seconds. This is timeout number two yeah. or whatever. I go over there, and it's a girl. It's a it's about a 20-year-old student that they always get because they can get them pretty cheap, and she's got the headset on. And I go over there just to say, okay, this is timeout number two. And right there in front of the Nevada bench, and Coach Tisdale is abs. I mean, he's spitting on me. I mean, <laughs> there, everything is coming out, and he is just going nuts. And I look at this girl, and she she's never heard some of this language that's coming off before. <laughs> but what she tells me is, we need a double timeout, meaning not only are we going to do this timeout after the point after, we need to do another timeout after the kickoff. And I go. Okay. And I know that I'm in about in about 45 seconds, I'm going to be back in enemy territory. So I go over there and I bring the girl out now so that we can get away from it. I bring her out to the hash mark and she tells me, um, she goes, they don't want me going, going more than five feet out on the field. And I said, no, follow me. And coach Tisdell followed me and he's out in the middle of the field. And I'm telling you, Matt, he called me things that, that, <laughs> that this girl had never heard. And so um, he told me that I would never work another Nevada game as long as he was coach. And uh, I said, uh, 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 coach, that may be the case, but we're going to finish this one here. you got to get off the field. And he said something else to me. And um, uh, I told him, I said, get your ass off the field now. And at halftime, I found out that that made it on TV. And <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it might've been my first slip, but it certainly wasn't my last. No, it but, wasn't. Uh, as you know, <laughs> but uh, so that uh, it was a, it was an education. And then um, a uh, week goes by, Nevada was playing, I think, uh, um they, they might have been playing Idaho, and they just didn't recover from that game, and they got beat again. And I'm sitting in the airport of my game, and I think I was in El Paso, and I picked up the newspaper, and it said uh, Coach Tisdale uh, won't be back as a Nevada coach. And I thought, well, my my uh, uh, quarantine, so to speak, is now over as far as the University of Nevada goes. You can go. But, but what was funny is, is a referee of my crew, is uh, a guy that we that that you know well, a guy named Rich Colvin, very good friend of mine, and he he stayed out in the middle of the field both times, and I was just getting chewed up pretty good. And there's an injury timeout just before the half, and he comes strolling over to me, and he says, "Everything okay?" And I said, "Wow, screw you." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, oh man, as a crew chief, man, yeah, you got to step in and uh, take charge there. Come on, come on, Rich, you let Tracy drown a little bit. Well, Tracy can hold his own with the best of them. We know that. Uh, that's that's pretty funny, Tracy. Good story, and I know you got a million and one of them. Uh, l- let's talk a little bit about uh, assigning. Uh, you're you have a unique perspective on officiating and the fact that that you're an assigner. And for those who don't know, every high school unit has. 
uh, different positions, but one is the assigner. He's the guy that pushes the button on the computer, sends you a game or multiple games that shows, you know, and you have to accept or decline. So it takes a lot of work on their part, just balancing schedules of everyone. And keep in mind, this is not the full-time job that he was doing on a daily basis, but I can promise you he put a lot more hours in uh, than, than he probably needed to. So Tracy, what can you tell me about what it was like as the assigner and, and how long you did it? I started in 97. So I did it for, uh, got 23 years in. I enjoyed every minute of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you start out, you, you want to make everybody your friend. And then you got to realize pretty quickly that that's just not going to be possible. Um, our area of Foothill Citrus is about 47 schools. There's about 100 and between 140, 145 officials and assigning the games. And, and you get, you know, everybody wants to work uh, uh, the, the uh, Rancho Cucamonga Upland game and that type of thing. So trying to balance all that, trying to make everybody happy, I realized very quickly that that's not going to happen. I didn't want to be, you know, a jerk with them, but, you know, you also you got to be you got to be fair. And so it's easy to recognize who your good officials are. And those are the guys that are going to work those games. But you also want to keep the rest of the troops happy. And um, I, I would just tell them that that game at, uh, uh, I don't know, for example, Bassett High School, that's just as important as a game at, uh, at, at Upland High School. Um, and and trying, to, trying to keep them just happy was, was the biggest goal. All sorts of different types of guys. You have guys that are absolutely paying their bills off of that. You got guys that are looking and say, well, what's the minimum amount of meetings I have to go to? What's the minimum score I have to get on a test? And we have guys who want to climb the ladder. So it's, it's kind of funneling all that stuff together to come up with a finished product. Oh, absolutely. Trey, and, and I know you've talked many times about it, but just the, the, the best part of officiating, you are, or excuse me, of assigning is something uh, you always told me. You said when you get to assign a guy his first playoff game or his first varsity game even, that those are just special moments for you. That's always a thrill. I mean, I remember what it was like for me. I really do. And um, to put a guy in um, to, to be ready because it's, it's especially your first varsity game, but it's going to come unexpectedly. It's coming a lot quicker now, Matt, as you know, for guys mm-hmm. that, uh, um, today. Um, but, but to make sure that they're ready, the biggest thrill for me, and I, I even got to do it this year, but is to call somebody working their very first CIF final. Um, in the old days, and I was part of it, but we had the same five guys working a CIF final every year. Mm-hmm. And once I became the assigner, I thought, you know what, that's not, that's not the right way to do things. And I think for about four or five years, I assigned the CIF finals and without anybody ever repeating, meaning there was always a number of people always getting their first shot and um, at working a CIF final, because that's what we want everybody when the season starts. We want everybody wanting to work a CIF final mm-hmm. and, and to kind of uh, um, uh, make that dream that they come true and to be a part of it is, is pretty cool. But it's also the same way for guys working their first varsity game. It does seem like nowadays they don't get as excited as they used to maybe when I was starting or even when you were starting, Um, you know, just because the need for officials is so great. Everybody knows that if they can fog a mirror, they're going to work on Friday night. So, um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I do know 
so that said, you try to get different people to work, but just so people understand, we're not talking about just throwing uh, CIF final assignments out like candy or, you know, there's, there are no handouts. It's all about people who've earned it. So say you got five officials or seven who are assigned to a, a, a championship game or a crew, you know, instead of maybe the same 10 guys getting considered, you're just branching out a little bit more, maybe include maybe 15 guys or 20 guys, you know, that are fighting for those spots. And then after that, maybe it gets a little watered down, but you know, there's still a, an elite sense of, the guys you put out on the field for the bigger games, right? Absolutely. And then it becomes um, promoting the guy that's worked a few of them. Now he's going to referee the first mm-hmm. time on that mm-hmm. one. Um, um, or, or work the um, – historically, you know, we'll get a, a Bishop Vermont game that will be on TV, and we probably know what it is before the season starts. The, the Rancho Cucamonga Upland game is, has been on quite a number of times. And, and that's a plum assignment – that you get because you've earned it. And um, I, there's really nobody in, our, our, in that group that I assign that I really don't like. I will say there's guys that I like a little bit better than others, but it doesn't matter. I mean, if they're a good official and they're going to do the job, they're going to go out there. And um, if there's people that don't, don't do the job, um, you know, they, I mean, they're not quite up to that level. My thing that I would say is what have you done in the last year to make yourself a better official. Yeah. And one of the things that I like now is, is, is listening to people, find out what their goals are, what, the, uh, what do they want to do position wise, level wise, and see if I can help them do that. And, you know, you get somebody, um, I want to go from the line of scrimmage official to being a back judge. And I'll say, you know, we had about six or seven passing tournaments over the summer and you didn't come to one and you could have gotten a whole lot of instruction on that. If you make the commitment that you'll come to these passing tournaments and listen to Scott Root or Brian Earls or some of these guys that we have out there that are back judges and, and, and pick their brains on the position, I'll put you out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not going to be because, you know, just because you asked. And I've, I've gotten better <laughs> people skill-wise, I think, in being able to talk to some of these guys and let them know that not now, but if you do this, you know, you're going to, you're going to possibly have an opportunity to uh, achieve what you want to achieve. Oh yeah. And, and you know what, a lot of times officials uh, starting out, they don't realize that you got to do things off the field that, that make uh, the assigner's job easier, keeping your calendar uh, availability up to date, uh, showing up to meetings, taking your tests, uh, you, you know, making sure you have the proper uniform, you're showing up on time, all those things matter collectively, and it's not so much uh, as, hey, was the runner down or was he not down? You know, if you take care of those other things, uh, your, your, your actions on the field are going are gonna to take shape because you're, you're focused and you're taking it seriously. So th- those are my thoughts, Tracy, on, on officiating and, and working with an assigner such as yourself. Uh, how many, how many phone calls would you get on average on say a Monday morning or even a Saturday morning after Friday night games from, from coaches or, or other issues? You know, at the, at the high school level, probably those calls come more on Saturday morning when the coaches are all together looking at film and so on. And, and, um, uh, I'm going to have the back of the officials. And when they start to tell me about a pass interference call that was missed, 
I'm going to listen to them, not for a long time, but I'm going to listen to them. And I'm going to say, you need to do two things for me. And, and using Huddle, which is the uh, internet form of trading, trading game films, is you need to send me that play uh, on Huddle. And you also need to send me the entire game film on Huddle. And I will give me a narrative. Tell me what I'm looking at. Tell me what you see. And, and we will get back to you. We have some officials in our group. I mentioned about Scott Root. I mentioned about uh, uh, well, uh, Bob Gordon, Jeremy Hike. We got some guys that are tremendous on film. And they'll break it down, and we will respond back to that coach. But, Matt, what's really kind of funny is once I ask them for that film, I rarely get that film. They just want to vent. Mm-hmm. And I'll let them vent for a little bit. And the, uh, a, a funny story is, and, and I, 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 won't, I won't say the name because he's still coaching, <laughs> is, but he called me up to tell me just how the official wouldn't communicate with him. And I had heard the story because I got the story earlier that morning. And I listened to him and I listened to him. And uh, he goes, Tracy, you do as you do a good as job as you can, and you're really kind of <laughs> blowing smoke up my butt. And I said, Well, let me stop you right there. I go, Did this happen before or after you told him he was the worst effing official you've ever seen? And uh, it got very quiet. It got very quiet. And he goes, Well, I don't remember saying that. And I said, Well, my official has no reason to lie. And uh, um, so I said, uh, uh, We'll work on communication if if. Uh, if uh, you can uh, work on it too. And um, uh, one thing that I never had tolerance for, for was assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to tell our, our uh, uh, officials, there's a difference between an assistant coach and a head coach. And, um, uh, and I, I learned that early in my junior college career, working a game for uh, at El Camino High School when I was on their sidelines. And I may have shared this story with you, but great guy named John Featherstone, coach of El Camino College. He tells me before the game, if you have any issues on my sideline, please come tell me. And I had an assistant coach just riding my butt, just riding my butt. And I went up to Coach Featherstone. I says, Coach, you told me if I have any issues, let you know. I says, your assistant coach down here is about ready to get a 15-yard penalty. And Featherstone, Coach Featherstone looked at me and said, thank you. And he calmly walked down to the coach and he said, Bill, you were in my office this week asking why you can't get a head coaching job. That's why. <laughs> and he turned around and, and walked away. And I worked, I worked uh, El Camino quite a few times and that coach never even said hi to me after that, you know, so. Feather, uh, Featherstone had total control and he, man, it was a p- privilege to work uh, a couple of games uh, that I got to there. He, he Oh man. What a great He guy. got it big time. Big, right. Uh, well, well, Tracy, Foothill Citrus has been fortunate to, have uh, a couple of really good, many officials come out, but a few of our officials have gone through our unit and gotten to the next level and, uh, and beyond. And two, two names in particular that come uh, for me that are just guys that work through and, and you look for on Saturdays or Sundays are, uh, are Frank VR, who works in the Pac-12 as an umpire and Sean Hockley, who is a, uh, a referee now in the national football league. And, uh, you know, you worked with both those guys at the high school level. And for those who recognize Sean Hockley's last name, yes, he is related to Ed Hockley, the recently retired NFL referee. So, uh, Sean's in the NFL. Frank has had 
an opportunity to work not one, but two national championship games, uh, uh, you know, as recent one as recent as was it last year or the year before it was, it was this past season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those are two names to me and everyone that's gone through Foothill Citrus is important and, and, you know, we respect them all, but those are two guys who have got to the, the two highest levels. And, and so what, what are, what can you say about those guys and maybe anyone else who, who has risen through the ranks? Well, Frank has a very unique ability that you just is, you can't teach. It's hard to find his knowledge of the rules is just second to none, but his control of the game is as good as anybody that you're going to find. And so he's combined those, you know, you have guys that have the rule book memorized, but when it comes time to play the game, they don't know how to apply. It. <laughs> Frank doesn't both. He's just a communicator um, on that field. He's got the rules knowledge um, um, and he, he knows, he, he knows also how to apply those rules. So he's, he's a special guy and, and, and he made a lot of people better, very good mentor. Um, um, Sean, um, uh, Sean's hard work has got him to where he's at right now. Um, uh, Sean called me up when, and, and I didn't know the phone call was coming. Actually, I got a little bit of a tip off from Bob Gordon that it was coming. And he introduced himself. He goes, from Sean Hockley, I just graduated from Pomona College. Um, I want to um, officiate um, high school football. And I understand you're the guy to talk to. And, and, I, and uh, um, uh, he, he, I asked him, I said, well, are you any relation to Ed Hockley? And Sean said, does it matter? <laughs> I, go, I go, we haven't even met you yet. But... Um, so he started off working. He'd show up for scrimmages, work lower-level games, and and um, you could just see that um, he was going to um, go very high, very fast. Sean never was able to referee a high school varsity game because he moved so quickly mm-hmm. to, to get out. And um, he just a, a unique individual who, again, he's got the people skills. Uh, uh, that is just going to make him successful in anything that he does. He's a very successful financial um, planner. Uh, uh, so successful, he's taking care of the dollar or two that I have and, and has done a great job for it. But um, he's uh, uh, climbed up through the, through the ranks very fast. And he remembers that Foothill Citrus is his home. Um, I was very humbled at my retirement party, so to speak. Uh, of our banquet this past year. Sean's a busy man, now has three kids, lives in uh, Newport Beach. And he came up just to, um, you know, just to uh, say hi to the folks. I like to say that it's, he came up here only because of me, but that's not true. <laughs> but um, uh, he's, been a, he's been a fun guy to watch. He'll share his knowledge with anybody. Um, uh, we have other guys right now that you know, as, as you know, Scott Root's a referee in the Big Sky Conference. We're seeing guys like Brian Earls mm-hmm. is going to be a guy to keep an eye on as he rises up. Um, we've had Al Corey come through, uh, uh, you know, worked uh, probably 25 years at the Division One level. So there's been um, just a number of guys that have come up through. And kind of the common denominator is they don't hesitate to give back. You know, you can call them and you know, they'll show up. They'll do, you know, it's not like I, I forgot where I came from, which is, which is pretty cool. Oh uh, yeah. I, those guys, 
are so welcoming. They're so, I mean, you don't even realize that they are who they are. Uh, just the way they carry themselves, the way they talk to you. The second ever game I ever worked was, uh, it was a freshman game at Diamond Ranch High School. And Sean Hockley was the lower level white hat. And I was like, this is, you know, Ed, this is Sean Hockley, Ed Hockley's son. And he was working in the WAC at the time. And it was just so cool as a new official. And he was so, he was a young guy and just so welcoming and gave me some words of encouragement. And, and every time I see him now, he's just like, hey, man, how's baseball going? I'm like, what, like, well, do you really, I mean, <laughs> he's just, he cares about what you're doing and all the people he's come across. So that's great, Tracy. Uh, I, I want to ask you a couple things about your time at Azusa Pacific University. How long were you there and, and what was your, your career there uh, while, while you were there? You know, I was at Azusa Pacific for 13 years. Uh, retired from there in um, 2007. Uh, I'm sorry, 2013. I, re I retired from there, um, and uh, I was a debt collector at Azusa Pacific. And I think I was able to use maybe the people skills or just being a football official on that to talk to people who still owed Azusa Pacific money. And oh. so um, it was in the business office. Made a lot of phone calls, talking to people who owed money. The easy part, it was, you know, they acknowledged that they, yeah, yeah, I went to school there. No, I didn't pay. <laughs> okay, so we got that taken care of. Now what are we yeah. going to do? That? And so um, uh, I, I did that. Um, prior to working, I, I worked a lot of APU football games, and they had an assistant coach there. And the last game I worked was 01. But assistant coach there, um, Victor Santa Cruz, who got promoted, uh, I think, in 04 to be in the head coach, and we became really good personal friends. And um, uh, when I got off the field in 11, um, I was always helping him with the rules. I was, uh, <laughs> uh, football coaches struggle sometimes uh, with, the, with the rules, with the whole rule. They know the part of it that makes it dangerous. <laughs> but um, uh, so I do that. I, I, I look at after I got off the field, I'd look at look at plays that he was going to send into the to the supervisor of officials. He'd ask me what I thought, and quite frankly, there were times when I'd say, "Well, that's a good call." What do you mean that's a good call? And I said, "Okay, watch the defensive back's right hip ride the guy out of bounds," and he goes, "Wow!" And I said, "That's a good call," even though it went against APU. And I I looked at film for APU just about every week and um, uh, helped him getting through of, of what plays should go up through the chain of command and that type of thing. But we became close personal friends. He's now the associate head coach uh, and defensive coordinator at the University of Hawaii, where he played football in the mid eighties. And um, the goal of Connie and I, if all things uh, square away, is we're gonna go visit him in October when they play Boise State um, and uh, uh, stuff. But he was always, uh, uh, a, a, a very dear personal friend. I was on the sidelines of their home games. I was a liaison for officials. So I would meet the officials, um, set them up with a meal, um, uh, unlock the doors for them, just because I knew how important that was when I was mm -hmm. officiating so that they, the officials didn't feel like they were forgotten. And I got to meet a lot of neat guys uh, uh, that were in the, um, uh, in the conference. Um, and uh, the great Northwest Athletic Conference, the GNAC, 
that APU was in. And, and uh, so we were always on the sidelines for the games. A funny story is the year that they changed the, if you remember this, and well, I'll explain it, the adjacent lineman rule. And I went up with Azusa Pacific to UC Davis where they were getting kind of clobbered. But the, the adjacent lineman, it used to be that, that if a defensive lineman jumped in the neutral zone, he could jump back and there wouldn't be a flag on him if he got back before the ball was snapped. They came up with the adjacent um, lineman rule where if it was playing over the guy or in the gap and he jumped into the neutral zone and the offensive guy reacted, it would be a foul on the defense. They called that the adjacent lineman rule. Well, that happened um, on uh, their game against UC Davis. And they go in and then they, then they start talking about it. And I thought, they're going to change the rule. So I knew the referee <laughs> and who he was. And I just said, I go, come on, Jim, that's the adjacent lineman rule. It's new this year. You know it, the adjacent lineman rule. And our head coach, Coach Santa Cruz, stepped out, took his headset off. Come on, you guys, that's the adjacent lineman rule. You got to know, you know better than that. They got it right. They enforced the correct ruling. Coach Santa Cruz comes down to me and says, what's the adjacent lineman rule? <laughs> and I told him, and he goes, that's why yeah. you're here. <laughs> but Tracy, it, it, it goes without saying, like, there should be, I'm a firm believer in this, uh, you know, the, to schools or teams, they would benefit so much from having a former official in some, uh, some aspect, you know, contributing to their program, either, hey, here's what mm-hmm. officials are looking for, or in your case there, throwing out a term that he had never heard, but he said, I'm going to echo this because I know he knows what he's talking about and then ask you later. But, you know, I think teams would benefit. I don't know why more teams don't do it. Uh, you know, I, I just I don't understand it. And not just football, but other sports. It seems like it would be very beneficial. Well, and, and it, it is. I, I would meet with Coach Santa Cruz about an hour before the game, uh, just him and I for only about 10 minutes. And he would know who the crew is. But I'd tell him. Hey, the referee's the guy that we had three weeks ago at Cedar City. And he goes, okay. And I said, he's from Seattle and he owns a restaurant. Okay, okay. <laughs> and he'd go up and meet the guy and he's shaking hands. He goes, hey, Bill, good to see you. Hey, how's this weather in Seattle affecting the restaurant? <laughs> and I mean, he didn't know. Five minutes before that, he didn't yeah. know the guy was. And, and I know that when I was a fish, and that made, a, that made an impact on me instead of like, you know, I'll never forget old what's his name. Oh, yeah. Know, so, uh, we, t- we talked uh, about that with uh, Bill Barnes about his experience with Harbaugh and how Harbaugh knew every, everything about you before the game even started. And uh, so it, it sounds like you were kind of the, doing homework for the coaching staff. Well, and I heard Bill's story. And, and uh, if I could say this, um, I'm going to call bullshit. I'm Bill oh. Barnes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I worked a, a, a bunch of games down at, not a bunch, but a few games of, of the University of San Diego when Harbaugh was there. And as a referee, you know, we meet him about an hour and 15 before game time. And there's, you meet him on the field. Players aren't out there yet. They're all kind of relaxed. Good time to talk to him. And my umpire, guy that you know, Ali Shatula in San Diego, you walk down this, this ramp <laughs> to the field. And Coach, Coach Harbaugh was on the, at the, way at the other end of the field, leaning up against the goalpost. Now, normally, the referee would see you coming, and he'd meet you halfway and all that kind of stuff. And as we approach him, he's got his hands in his dockers, and he's just leaning up against the goalpost. 
And I go, hey, coach, coach, good to see you. And he goes, I'm not going to shake your hand. And he pauses. He goes, I might have a cold. And I go, man, this, this guy's, this guy's Mr. Personality. <laughs> so we talk, we, we, we talk and, and the game goes on. He had a quarterback named Josh Johnson. Josh played, I think he played for the Cincinnati Bengals, but he was, he, he was a heck of a player for, for University of San Diego. And as a referee, I always liked to get to know, so to speak, the quarterback. What's his first name, whatever. Communicate with him like that. Anyway, um, it's in the first half, and Josh is going back to throw a little screen pass, and he throws, dumps the ball off. Play goes for about 12 yards. Right after he dumps the ball off, there's no players around him. He tripped over his foot and lands on his ass. And I'm standing right there. He's just Nobody's around him. Harbaugh plays over Harbaugh, looks back and sees his quarterback getting up off the ground. And he starts, Tracy, you got to protect my quarterback. That's BS. You got to, you're better than that. You can't let him get hurt. And so I was just, I just kind of smiled. And I went over to Josh Johnson, the quarterback, to go, hey, when you get off the field, you got to tell Coach Harbaugh what happened. And he looked at me and he goes, I can't do that. <laughs> well, well, Tracy, I, I have a theory. I have a theory. You were the referee for this game, right? And I, I, yep. I don't know Mr. Harbaugh, but I believe Bill and I believe you. I have a theory that you wearing the white hat, uh, you're in the middle of the field. He's going to scream at you and, and more than likely be unhappy with you during the game. I think he was, uh, you know – trying to maybe butter up his the guys that were on his sideline. I think there's a <laughs> – when you're talking to those two guys, maybe. That's just a theory. Uh, so so maybe you're both right that uh, <laughs> with your stories and experiences. So that's that's just a theory. Oh, I, I think I think Bill's people skills far exceed mine, so I'm going to give him that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, uh, I could talk with you all day about uh, just football and just on the field, off the field. It's so much fun. A lot of things, a lot of people ask me this is, hey, how, how did you get that job working at Fox? How did that start? And I, I have to kind of explain, well, my football signer, my high school football signer knew the guy doing it. And uh, so, so what can you tell me about how the, the Fox gig started and why you chose the people you chose to, to uh, participate in it? You know, through the years, I, I was at a couple of clinics where Mike Pereira spoke. And, and what a lot of people don't know about Mike is, you know, he was in the NFL only for a couple of years before he got the he went into the office of the NFL. But he was also the um, supervisor of officials for a couple of years for the WAC. And as an up and comer, I was applying to the Big West, to the WAC, to the Pac-12. I was applying to all those conferences. Anyway, he retires from the NFL. He's got this gig set up in Los Angeles uh, for, for, uh, for Fox. And he talks to a few people. Um, I think Carl Shepherds was one and Tony Carini was another. And he tells him, he goes, I need to get some local officials in there that know what they're doing so that they can look at, uh, be my eyes on certain games. So we get every game certain. And, and both Tony and, 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 and Carl, I believe, told Mike, the guy that you really need to contact is Tracy McVeigh. He's been around a long time. He knows, uh, he knows a lot of people. He can set you up. So Mike calls me. They give him this one. Uh, uh, um, Tony Crenny called me and says, can I give Mike Pereira 
your phone number? And I go, well, that's a pretty stupid question. Of course you can. So Mike calls me up and he starts talking about what he wants to do. And he's trying this kind of like a job interview for me. And he wants to know if I could get 10, 12 people together that have experience, but also have the knowledge of looking at film. And I go, yeah, I could do that. I could really do that. And so we talked a couple times and we put the group together, including yourself. And we were going to meet uh, for a preseason game and do a walkthrough. And Mike had, Mike, we met at a restaurant in uh, on the West side, forget what the name of it was, but I met Mike at the Beverly Hilton hotel where he was staying. And so I call him up and say, hey, I'm downstairs. He comes downstairs. He goes, hey, let's visit here for a minute. So we sit in the lobby and he goes, why do I know your name? Why do I know <laughs> you? And, and I said, uh, because when you were the supervisor of officials for the WAC, you, you didn't hire me. And I was just trying to be funny and it got kind of quiet. Uh, <laughs> he goes, oh, that's right. That's right. Well, you got picked up by somebody else, didn't you? And I go, yeah, I did. I go, I was just kind of kidding with you. <laughs> You know, we're able to put together a, a really neat group, a good group of guys um, from from Southern California. And of course, I I, 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 I cherry pick the best guys from Foothill Citrus. And a number of those guys are still doing it. I'm not doing it anymore. It's um, on there, obviously, being long distance. But um, that was fun. Working Fox is fun. You got to see a different side of 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 the personalities and then got to see behind the scenes of how they do things as far as a mm-hmm. game show and 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 that type of thing and so um that was that's that's one thing i really miss about not being there now and uh um uh, the days went by fast but it was it was it was pretty cool and if you remember matt the very first game that Pereira did the yes. very first sunday do you remember uh-huh. the calvin johnson uh-huh. uh, uh catch no uh-huh. catch and that was the very first game, and Pereira nailed it. And uh, um, he was he was pretty darn happy about that. Yeah, so, it, <laughs> um, we joke about it all the time. The, the 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 few remaining of us who started there and are still doing it. I mean, I can't believe we're going to be. Uh, you know, God willing, we'll go into our I think twelfth season next year or this fall or maybe it's 11, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, it, it's just crazy how time flies, and and Tracy, time has flown with this conversation as well. I really appreciate just talking football, talking life with you. It, it never gets old. It's fun to give you a call every now and then and just and reminisce. And I thought, well, what a better way to make our conversation count than to, to bring you on board here for our uh, podcast. So thank you for being a part of it. Well, I appreciate it. And it was great getting together with you probably the last week of your baseball season <laughs> out here at UNLV. That was a, uh, that was that was fun, and uh, hope to hope to see you out this way. Oh again. yeah, that would be great. I know uh, Vegas and Henderson is is quite different these days, just like everywhere else. So uh, we hope you're staying safe, your family's all well, and uh, you know it's uh, thank thank goodness for retirement, huh? Well, hopefully we're turning the corner, but yeah, probably like where you're at is pretty darn quiet. <laughs> well, good to hear. Well, thanks again. There's a lot uh, we covered, a lot, a lot more that we didn't get to, but I know that next time we talk, we'll, we'll definitely cover some new ground, and I look forward to having you back on sometime. Anytime. Wow, what a great way to start the week with Tracy McFate. Thank you again for that interview, Tracy. 
It was wonderful uh, stories and some great insight on there. And we look forward to having you as a guest again in the very, very near future. On Tuesday, we have in Devin Drain coming in. He is a coach and teacher at Rio Hondo Prep. He coaches in the junior high boys department and he teaches some math at the high school level. He's going to tell us what it's like in this time with the distance learning and and the challenges uh, that teachers are facing with the current quarantine situation. He might also have some uh, stories about us playing ball together way back when. On Wednesday, we bring back Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. He will have strong opinions and uh, some controversial topics, I'm sure, but that's what he's here for, to stir up the pot. Whether you uh, agree with him or disagree with him, you gotta you got to love him or hate him. He's, he's here every Wednesday for us. On Thursday, we are joined by Jeff Levering. He is a Major League Baseball radio broadcaster. He works with the Milwaukee Brewers. He works with Bob Euchre every day. He'll tell us what that is like and also his climb through the minor leagues and what it's like being a broadcaster at that level. Really looking forward to our conversation with Jeff on Thursday. On Friday, we are joined by Joe Stegner, a former AAA baseball umpire. He now umpires college baseball. He also used to be a college basketball coach, but now focuses primarily on umpiring. He's also a Uber driver up in the Boise, Idaho area. So he's going to tell us about what it's like driving up there at this time during the quarantine. Look forward to having Joe on to to take us around third for the weekend. The best way to follow the show, guys, is on the Anchor app. You get the full content. You get all the music that we put in on the show. Any other way you listen to the show is much appreciated, but Anchor is the best way with the full content. The best way to follow us is on the Facebook page. Get Home Safe Podcast is the page. Uh, jump on there. You'll see all the posts that the, of the episodes and such. We're going to do the same thing on Twitter with the handle Get Home Safe Pod. You'll ha- you'll see our episodes daily listed. You can also contact us in, uh, with our email at gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. You can send in questions or comments or maybe topics you'd like or just anything, any feedback there is, is greatly appreciated. We will usually have a first inning segment and a last inning segment with a interview with a guest in between. If you are on the Anchor app, the, that, that's the best way to link up with us for our interviews down the road. So if you haven't been on the show yet, that's the best way to uh, connect. So uh, stay ahead of that and, and download the Anchor app if you can and add our show to a favorite if you're so inclined. If you have any ideas, go ahead and throw them out. We are, we're open to new ideas and we're open to just hearing feedback and anything, uh, or any way of life, anything you want to talk about, we're here. We're here for each other. This is a very difficult time. We're just trying to check every day, every day off. A nice big check mark on our calendar. We're getting through another day of this thing together. It's the only way we can do it is do the best we can. And we're on here to talk with you and just and anything we can do to help, we want to help. So appreciating all the listenership, we are approaching 600 plays after surpassing the 500 plays last week. So we're growing Little by little here, and, and that's all because of you guys. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you know anyone who might be of interest uh, that would like our show, would like to listen to the show, please uh, forward it, retweet it. Uh, anything you can do to, to help the show we just is greatly appreciated. That'll wrap up our Monday episode. We look forward to Devin Drain on tomorrow's show. Every uh, day, guys, you should get a notification on Twitter or Facebook about our next guest. We, we put a picture out on Sunday about Tracy McFate on Twitter and Facebook just to promote kind of Monday show, put, to put a face with a voice, give you an idea of who was coming on. We're going to continue to do that as well. 
So look forward to those pictures that we'll put out the night before each guest comes on so you kind of know who they are and, and what to look forward to. Thanks again for listening, guys. That'll wrap up our show. Just uh, be safe out there no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around at third base. Get home safe.